My name is Alan. I'm glad y'all are here today. I love singing with y'all. Let me just say that. So if, if you're new here, I'm normally not the one that gets up at this point. Normally I, I've got something with the guitar because uh, I don't know what to do with my hands if I don't have something. So I'm normally not the one up here, uh, but my name's Alan. And we're going to do our best this morning to simply praise the Lord. Okay? So I believe in the songs that we just sang. So it is sweet to trust in Jesus, um, to trust in His grace, and to proclaim that He is good and that He is true. So we're going to rest in those truths this morning as we kind of try to break down some of John 16, and we see how we get through this thing, because I'm really nervous. I don't do this very often. So if I ramble a lot, y'all just give me the eh, and the good news is we'll all go home a little early. Okay? So before we start, if we can, if we can just pray that, that those truths be true this morning, that we can sit and trust in Jesus, that He guides us through here, that maybe He reveals Himself in a way that He hasn't before, that I don't go down too many rabbit holes, and that His name is praised. Okay? So let's pray one more time. Father, we love You. We rest in You today. I rest in You. Holy Spirit, we ask that You bring to remembrance all of the things uh, of Your Word. And Lord, that You guide us and that You lead us. And so, Lord, uh, we ask collectively as one body um, that You show Yourself and reveal Yourself through Your Word today. Use me uh, to speak Your Word and give us ears to hear. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So if y'all are with that, I think we're going to have a good morning. It's going to be good. I need some thumbs up. Thank you. It makes me feel better. All right, so again, so my name is Alan. So uh, this is what I'm not real fast, is I'm not a preacher. I, I'm, 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 not any, I'm not a theologian, any of that stuff. If you've heard me before, I say this all the time. I'm a regular guy. I've got a beautiful wife sitting over there. I've got two crazy kids that, uh, fun fact, were actually playing in a mud hole yesterday in February. <laughs> And so my daughter Ellie was diving in mud, and, and I don't even know how that happened, uh, but they were just all playing in mud holes yesterday in February. So uh, that, I love WWE. It's my favorite because uh, I like stories, and so it, it's all just a whole storytelling thing. So I love that, uh, and I like guitar. I work at a bank. I don't really know what I'm doing up here is what I'm saying, uh, but I like y'all, and so here we are, Okay. So we've been in John for the last several months. Um, for a long time we've been in John. And for the last several weeks, we've been going through um, talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I want to recap a little bit and give a little backstory on really the, the last few weeks to kind of lead up to where we're going to be. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to, to John 16. We're going to start in verses 16, but before we get there, give a little recap, but you can go ahead and turn there if you've got an app, um, whatever you would use to get there. So it, what we see about in the Holy Spirit and in the book of John, kind of in general, is that this thing called power, right? So we've got that there's power in the Holy Spirit. And in our world today, we, we talk a lot about power all the time. There, there's a constant battle of, of what's the greatest power source, right? Whether it's wind or water or, or nuclear power and and we're constantly talking about how we might be destroying the earth with this oil and all this stuff right so there's there's power within our earth this untapped power source that we spend tons of energy trying to figure it out 
But the cool thing about John is that it gives us another power source in this Holy Spirit. And so John's kind of moving us through, kind of revealing to us that the biggest untapped power source that we actually have is the power of the Holy Spirit living in the people of God. So living in me, living in you if you're a believer. We have this actual power that Jesus is talking about. The same power that raised Christ from the, from the dead is living in us. So that's kind of the, the theme over these last few chapters that we've had. So we'll get to the, the context of this because this part is fascinating to me. And um, if you've got your, your little guide, you're going to say, hey, there's no points because uh, I don't make a lot of good points. So I've just got a note section. So just feel free to, to make your own points because they'll probably be, they'll be good. I'm sure of it. So uh, in John, here's something really cool that I love. Uh, chapters 13 through 17 are all kind of the same, the same place. So we call it the Last Supper, the Upper Room. Um, sometimes it's labeled as Jesus' farewell discourse. This is when Jesus gathers with His disciples and, and he, all of this is one conversation. Okay, uh, And in chapters 14 through 16 specifically, we get the largest teaching on the Holy Spirit uh, in the Bible, at least at one time. There's other teachings on the Holy Spirit that, that are great, but Jesus gives almost a three-chapter kind of view into the Holy Spirit's coming, the Counselor's coming, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is here to do. So the Holy Spirit is here to indwell within us, uh, gives this kind of power source, and Jesus is kind of explaining a lot of this. Um, and what I find fascinating is that that's roughly 25% of the book of John. So those chapters 13 through 17, it's about a six-hour span or something in Jesus' life. It's all one conversation. And it's almost 25% of the book of John. Uh, so this is a very important conversation that Jesus is having. This is, a, this is kind of a big deal, I think. So, uh, uh, and, and where we're at right now kind of falls right in the, in the middle of this conversation. But we'll kind of set the whole thing up. So in chapter 13... Um, we see them gather in, in the upper room. So Josh, put that first picture up, if you will. I like pictures. I don't like to read a lot of stuff, but I like looking at pictures. So th this, is, this is one of the places they think may have been where the upper room was at. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, that it was, but this is one of the places in Jerusalem that, that, that different people have said it could be. And so if you notice, or at least when I think of the upper room, I think of like them just sitting in a... I don't know what I think of, but I don't think of something kind of elaborate as that. So I want to build the, the context of this a little bit, is that an upper room where they were at was most likely in some, some uh, wealthy person's home because it actually had an upper room. So an upper room would be like an upper chamber that, that they would have back then and they would go up there. So it would be in some kind of uh, place that kind of looks like this, first off, kind of, kind of a, a nice fancier place, most likely. Go to the next picture, Josh. Then you see this, and this is a beautiful picture. This is, this is Leonardo da Vinci's uh, The Last Supper painting. And so I want to show this to say that there's really nothing about this that would be biblically accurate. This is how most of us, I think, think of The Last Supper, right? As they're, they're kind of sitting out. Throw the next one up here, Josh. I think this is fun. So Jesus walks in. He's like, table for 26, please. And the waiter's like, but there's only 13 of you. And Jesus is like, yes, but we're all going to sit on the same side. We're just going to lean over. There's going to be a painting guy that's going to sit there and he's just going to make this beautiful portrait. 
so I say that because I think it's important that this is a much more relational environment than what I always thought of anyway. I like pictures, so let's keep going. Go to the very next one. It would have actually looked similar, much more similar to this. This is called a triclinium. And so it would have been, it would have been a three-sided table with either couches or, or some kind of cushions for them to sit on. And you notice how they're laying. They would have laid like that um, when they got their feet washed, which we see in chapter 13. So they're laying, they're going to be laying on the left, usually on their left side eating. Uh, some of them might be on the right side, but they would lay on one side so they could rest on the other person and eat. So it was a very, um, what's the word for it? It was a very intimate type type of thing. And everything in the middle would be where like the servers would have. And remember, this is at Passover, so all this would have been prepared. This, this was at a very celebratory feasting time when they're doing all of this. So this is uh, historically from Roman culture and, and, and in that day, it would have looked much more similar to this than the other picture. And go to one more, uh, Josh. This one is kind of a water painting. It's a little harder to see. But in the one with Leonardo da Vinci, you would see Jesus is at the center, right? And he's kind of just like, serve me. And everybody's kind of gaining around him. In reality, he would have hosted this. And so if you see the second guy on the left, that probably would have been about where Jesus sat. And there's a whole other, I think, sermon, much smarter people that could go into detail just on this alone that I think is fascinating. Um, but I say that because this paints a little different picture when we're talking about all the things Jesus is going to be saying than the other one does, I think. And I think it's important for us to wrap our brains around how they would have said these things um, when we're talking about what he actually said. Because context is everything, right? So I think that's really cool. Side note, uh, Judas very likely would have been his guest of honor seat, which we'll get to that in a second. I think that's cool. So in chapter 13, we see that. We see them sitting around this table. We see uh, them wash their feet. Um, and Jesus kind of starts that whole, this whole process of, of, of this Last Supper. At the very end of chapter 13, Judas leaves. So Jesus leans over to Judas and he's like, what you're going to do, do quickly. Uh, get out of here. So Judas gets up and leaves, um, which if, if he would have been the, the guest of honor, would have been a big deal. And the whole mood changes after that. So we go into 14 and you hear Jesus talking to his disciples now without Judas. And he is saying things like, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And then he starts um, stressing the importance that this counselor is coming. Holy Spirit's coming. So again, you get that picture of Judas leaves. Now Jesus gets sitting like that. He can see everybody. He gets with all of his disciples and he starts really hammering the importance of what he's saying. Okay, we go on to chapter 15. And well, right at the end of chapter 14, Jesus suddenly says, um, let us rise and go from here. So after 14, they get up. They're no longer in the last supper room, the upper, the upper room, and they're walking. And in 15, we see him. He's, he's teaching about the vine and the branches. He's saying uh, those who abide in me. He's saying things like remain in me. And he gives commandments like love one another as I have loved you. So these are very personal things. And he would have been walking with his disciples at this time. And then it leads us to chapter 16, where uh, as Kyle preached last week, Jesus actually is, tells them, uh, love each other as I've loved you, for I'm going away and I will be sending the Holy Spirit. He's already said that, and that it's actually better for you if I go away. Uh, 
And then in, in chapter 17, we're going to see they're at the garden. They finally make it to the garden and he gets arrested and, and the disciples' lives change forever as far as they know. So that is the kind of the context. I want you to get your brain around. Jesus gets them the very last night of his life, at least on earth. Uh, as they know it, he gets them, he sits them down, they have dinner together, and then he takes them, and it is friends walking from upper Jerusalem. They're going to walk all the way through the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives, and they're going to land at the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is all at night. So it just kind of paints a cool picture in, in my head. So that's the setting. I also want to talk about the emotion behind it. Because I think emotion is real. And I think emotion helps us understand significance as well. So I'm going to tell the story. Um, I'm going to try to say it without, without tearing up or something. So my grandmother passed away a few years ago. And right before she did, we lived in Tennessee. And my dad called. And he was like, hey, you, know, you might want to come down. We think it's getting pretty close. So if you want to see her again, come on down. So this is before my wife and I had our, our daughter. So we drive down. Shay's pretty pregnant. And um, I don't know why I did that, but she was. Um, uh, and, and at this particular night, I'm over at my parents' house. Uh, Shay's at, at her parents' house because we're just kind of visiting. And my grandmother was staying with my parents. Um, she wasn't doing very good. And so I hear either my, my mom or my dad, somebody, they're just like, your mama wants to see you right now. And so I'll run in there. And my, my grandmother says, she's like, where's Shay? And I was like, well, she's at her parents. She was like, get her. So I call Shay and I tell her, I was like, you got to come over. She's like, everything okay? And I was like, I don't know. She just said she wants to see you. So Shay drops everything and she comes right over, um, which I think most people would do. It wouldn't have mattered what she would have been doing. She would have came right over. So we get in this room, and this is really the last time I really remember uh, talking to her. I think it was the last time I actually saw her um, while she was alive. We, we left the next day. But just that day, she put her hand on Shay's stomach, and it's like we all realized that she wasn't going to be alive when the baby was born. And so she's just talking to us. She's, she kind of says it's going to be a girl, and we just believe every word she's saying. It doesn't matter what she says. Like in that moment, everything my, my, my mama said to me was real and mattered more than anything else. Um, and then we ended up leaving the next day, and, and I think maybe a week later, later she passed away. Uh, and I missed that woman. But in that moment, that was the last time, and she knew that. There was no doubt in my mind that she knew this was going to be the last time. And so she was like, I have to see you and Shay. In the same way, this is what Jesus is doing. This is the importance of it. Jesus knows what's about to happen. The disciples have an idea because He's been telling them, but they still don't get it. But Jesus knows, so He gets them together. And, and, and we see this intimate conversation. Chapters 13-17 through 17 are really like an eavesdropping of a farewell of friends. It's like the very last moment that they're going to have together, at least in this context, before Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus is going to just pour his heart out and tell them how much he loves them, how much the Father loves them, what's going to happen, how they're, how, how they're going to lose him, but it's actually going to be better. And it's all going to change at the end of this night. And so that's kind of the emotion behind this. This is, this is a big deal. 
So that interests me a lot because that helps my heart get ready to read what he's going to say. So I know it's kind of a long intro to something, um, but let, let's go with it now. So uh, John chapter 16, starting in verse 16. We're just going to read all the way through 24, and then we'll talk about it. Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again a little while, and you will see me. And because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, What does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves? What is meant by my saying? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. All right, so let's kind of break it down a little bit and, and go back at 16. So they start by saying, to me, it's a very confusing little, little passage because it's a little while and then a not little while and then three verses in, I'm still reading the words a little while and I'm like, what's, what's going on? I feel like this, what's going on here? So let's start. So Jesus is telling them, here soon you're not going to see me and then you will see me. And remember, they're walking while he was doing this. So get the picture that they're walking. Um, he's probably got a couple disciples that he's talking to. There are a couple more disciples behind him. You know, there's 11 of these guys. Uh, they're kind of moving like a, like a mob, you know, waving through, through the forest or whatever. And, and then some of the disciples are, are behind kind of whispering like, what's he talking about? What is this guy talking about? And, uh, and if you got caught up like me on verse... Where is it? At the end of verse uh, da, 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 17, the disciples say, and he says, because I'm going to the Father. And if you're reading, you might say, well, the Scripture doesn't actually say that. It doesn't record that Jesus says that. And you would be right. He, he doesn't say it right then. But I want to bring up, if we go back to John 3, I mean, John 7, uh, 33, uh, Jesus says, says this, he says, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. And then in chapter 12, 13, and 14, Jesus says other things that are very similar to this. He'll say, I'm not going to be with you, um, and then again, I will be with you. And so this conversation is, is a larger, it's a small part of a larger conversation, I guess I should say. So don't get called up too much right there, because what they're talking about is the same stuff he's been telling them, that he was going to be leaving, and they still don't get it. And so they're much like me. Uh, they hear all this and then they're finally just like, what is, he, what is he saying? We don't know what he's talking about. He keeps saying he's going to leave or he won't be here and then he will be here. So, so Jesus turns to him and, um, and he says, truly, truly, which when Jesus says that, it, it, it pretty much means, uh, let me get your undivided attention because this is important stuff that I'm about to say. So Jesus turns to them to explain it. And he says, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, 
but your sorrow will turn into joy. He is talking about uh, saving the world, <laughs> in essence. The reason that we can stand here and proclaim Christ is because of His death and resurrection. And so He is telling His disciples, you're going to be really sorry for what's about to happen. You're going to have grief. Uh, you're going to have heartache. But I tell you the truth, the world is going to rejoice at what's going to take place. And so we can stand here right now because of this event and rejoice and have joy. But not just any joy, not just a happiness joy. A much deeper joy that, that Jesus is going to get into. And so he goes on. I was trying to think of, a, of an example. Like what would be a good example you know, of maybe when something causes a great deal of pain but actually causes joy later? And so I was like, well, that, that happens you know, from time to time. What's a good example of that? And then I just read the next verse. And I was like, oh, that's a good example. So Jesus lays out the best example I can think of is giving birth. And I don't even understand this example. Okay, I haven't given birth. I just watched it, and it was horrifying. <laughs> I mean, I don't want anything to do with it. You know? And so even from, even, there was pain on my end, and I didn't even do anything. I, so uh, I'm, I'm not even going to act like I understand that. But that's the example Jesus gives, this, this big event, this big life-changing event where from everything I heard happening is terrible. But then when it's all over, you know, all that's kind of forgotten. And my beautiful wife, when it's all over, she's not, you know, throwing the baby across the room because it just caused so much pain, even though she probably wanted to a few moments earlier. You know, you just you grab the baby and then everything's changed. And then all that pain that it took no longer matters because we now see the final product, the final joy. And as, as Jesus puts it, I love that how, how he words it here. She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. And that's not just a happiness. That's a joy that if you've got kids or if you've got nephews or if you've ever been around this, you get there's a different sense that wells up with a child. You know, I get happy when I play guitar. It gives me joy, but it's a total different kind of joy. That, that's the significance that he's bringing here. And I, I, think, it's, I think it's really cool that, that he... Uh, he puts it that way. All right, now we'll keep going. So, uh, and, he, and he says, so also, so related to that joy, let me, let me mention this, so also you will have sorrow now, but I'll see you uh, again, your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. So he's relating that same kind of joy, that unexplainable almost joy from the birth of a, of a child he relates that to the joy that's about to happen that no one can take. It, it can't ever be taken away from you. That happiness that you experience there can't be taken away. I mean, he says this. In that day you will ask nothing of me. And he says this word again, truly, truly. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. And so the thing that I remember when I'm really studying this is it really helped bring to my attention that, you know, in this day they didn't pray in Jesus' name because Jesus was right there with them. And, and we always see Jesus pray to the Father. And so Jesus is saying this truth that they still don't quite get. He's telling them that, that through Him, all the stuff He's been saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. Now he's revealing that now when you pray, and he's about to go into detail more of this, when you pray through me in my name, you have direct access to the Father. That's what's about to happen. When he is, when he is uh, uh, crucified, resurrected, um, we, we now have access to the Father. That's what we're always talking about, right? We have direct access to the Father. We don't need a high priest. We don't need somebody else that, that can pray for us because if we are a believer through Christ, we now have direct access. And Jesus is about to elaborate on this. So I think it's really cool. Um, but I do want to go over real fast. I think, I think I've missed one scripture that I told uh, Josh to put up there, but let's put up James real fast. So James 4... It says this, because um, Jesus just says, again, whatever you ask, uh, He will give you. So I think we have, to, we have to at least bring up this. Does that just mean whatever we ask, He gives you? Is that statement true? So let's go to James. Uh, James 4, 2 through 3, it says, You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive. This is the part to catch. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So I just want to kind of clear the air with, with the debate. These are not contradicting each other um, because the whole premise of them is different. And it's based around this whole thing called joy. And Jesus even says uh, at the end here, verse 24, asking you will receive why? That your joy may be full. So I bring up James because Jesus is not saying whatever you ask for whatever reason, the Father is just going to simply give you. And James he actually says that you ask wrongly. Some versions say because your motives are wrong. Um, and we're asking for, for earthly pleasures. Jesus is talking about the joy and the peace that only comes through Him. This is the whole point of what He's saying is that He's going to give us joy uh, because of what is happening in that context of the resurrection and that He is saving the world by doing this, that He's making a way that was not there before. So I know it, my brain gets confused on it a little bit, but that's the whole point. So we're not saying, I just want to be clear, I'm not saying, and I don't believe Jesus is saying, ask whatever you want and you will get it. I think we could all attest in our lives that's not true. All right? Uh, but we are to seek the will of the Lord. And He does say that when you ask of the Lord, He will supply your joy. This is a promise. This is a promise that only He can give. Okay, let, let's go on. We're going to read uh, through 25 through 33. And, and man, both of these sections, much smarter people could go into so much more detail. So I'm trying just to fly a little up here with them. Verse 25, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. Still talking to his disciples, same conversation. <clears throat> the hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. <clears throat> here he goes. In that day, <clears throat> excuse me, in that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. So that's where we get this direct access. Jesus is saying, when you pray in my name, I'm not going to turn around and, and kind of interpret this and ask to the Father. He says, I'm not going to pray it 
uh, on, to my Father on your behalf. For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed that I came from God. So Jesus is revealing this huge truth that once all this transpires, when you pray in My name, man. We, we're going to pray through the, by the Holy Spirit through Christ to, to the Lord. It's a huge thing. And then He says, I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples say, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answers them, do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And then he wraps this whole little section up. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I love this. Jesus finally says, okay, we're getting, we're getting closer. Let me just speak plainly. I'm not going to use parables. I'm not going to use figures of speech. I'm not going to do any of that. Let me tell you <clears throat> that I'm going away and I'm going to my Father. But that He loves you very much. <laughs> and when you pray in my name, I, know, I will no longer speak kind of on your behalf. When you pray in my name, the Father hears. Which was not always so. We know it is so. That's been all that we know. But in context from the Old Testament, that wasn't so. And even when Jesus was, was here, that wasn't so. So Jesus is trying his very best, as hopefully I'm trying to my very best here to at least get some kind of glimpse of the importance that he is setting up. This is a big deal. This is a life-changing, world-changing, eternity-changing event that's about to take place in the next two chapters. I think it's awesome. And there's so much that we could go into that. <clears throat> uh, I, I just I Googled when I first got this, I was like, let me just Google that last phrase because it's so popular, right? So, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And oh man, if you go, just YouTube it and you'll see uh, tons of very famous preachers and all kinds of stuff on just that verse, you know, like hour and a half sermons. And I was like, whew, I'm not listening to all that, but I'm sure it's great. So there's so much to unpack just from this little part. So much, but what I want to what I want to kind of leave us with is Jesus ends here on on verse thirty two. He says, "Behold," which is another kind of big word he's using here of like, "Listen, this is true." Um, Behold, the hour is coming; indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave me alone. So he's, he's once again setting up that what's about to happen, it, the disciples are about to disperse. They're going to get scared. They're going to see Jesus arrested. They're going to see Him crucified. And their whole lives change. Everything changes from this moment on. And then all that helps my brain understand why Peter pulls his sword when they come and get him. Why he gets so upset when they see him getting arrested. They just spent a night with the Lord unlike any other night they've probably ever had. They've had these kind of nights before, but not like this. This was special. 
Why? Just like with my grandmother. That was special. I'll never forget it. I had a lot of nights with her. I stayed with her for tons of times in the summer. I'll never forget that moment because what she said, not even that it was so profound, but it meant so much because it was so real. That's where Jesus is right here. That's where we've been for the last several weeks. That's where we're going to be next week. That same conversation of, of him telling friends, I'm leaving. I've sent a helper, the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you through all this chaos that's about to transpire. Because it just gets crazy from here. And right after this, we'll go uh, into chapter 17 and we're going to see what's called the high priestly prayer. And Jesus is going to pray. This is where Jesus prays to the Father and actually says things like, my work here is complete. Meaning the, the disciples, they're, they're ready. And this is where we're going to see him praying um, where, where sweat of blood, uh, he's praying so intently. Soon we're going to see him really asking the Father, is there any other way? Does this have to happen? <clears throat> and then we're going to see him go, you know, they're going to go up and get arrested and he will be crucified. So we're getting there. But the emotion of this is just very real because our Lord is great. So I'm going to invite the team to come to come back up. And we are going to, um, we're going to sing a song in a second that's called Great Are You, Lord. And before we sing that song, I want to, uh, I want us to, to pray together and spend just a, a little bit of, of time being still with the Father. Okay? Because I think what he is getting at here, what he has said, desires much more of our attention and affection and devotion than I know that I generally give. It can be easy to come on a Sunday. It can be easy to go to a home group sometimes. But what Jesus is invoking here is a lifestyle change where he is saying it's all going to change I'm sending a helper it is now um, I don't want to say it's on us because it's not but he's not with us anymore that's what he's preparing them for and that's a big deal that's a really big deal and so I just want us to, to just kind of soak in that for a second to know how great he is to know that He is Lord and to look back on what He has done for us. Because this is a conversation that we get to get a peek in. That's what I love about it. It's just a conversation. Much more eloquently than what I've been able to say. It's a love between people that ended up going throughout the whole world, which is why we're talking about it now. So if we will, let's go to the Father. Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your son to die on a cross for us. We thank you for sending the Spirit 
to indwell within us, to give us power. Lord, your power, the same power. So Lord, I pray for each one of us this morning that your spirit with, within us reveals your truth, points us to Jesus, draws us nearer to you. Convicts us. So that we may have joy that only you give. A peace that only you give. A peace that is in you. Not of this world. Lord, stir our hearts with that. Stir our hearts with your peace. For you give us life. You restore us. As Jesus says here, we know that you love us. And we are thankful. We are grateful that we may worship you. We ask all of this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.